Hey, Ken. Hey. How are you, brother? Good. Long weekend. Good. My birthday That's weekend, good. as you saw, I saw that you... Uh, yes, happy birthday. Yeah. yeah, thanks. So what, 25, 26? What is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good day to you, Undercurrents listeners. Today, I've got a special update episode featuring Isidin Hawamda, a Palestinian poet, teacher, and friend who shared his poems with us in an episode called Home from season two. Many listeners were moved by his poems. And so when I heard that Izzy had written a new poem inspired by an extended trip back home to the West Bank that he had taken with his family earlier this year, I invited him to share it with us on Undercurrents. Izzy graciously agreed. So Izzy, you went back home. Yeah. Tell me about that trip. Uh, I mean... uh... I could uh, I could go on and on about how beautiful Palestine is, but uh, the one thing, the sad thing, that I did find this time that I've never touched before, or seen before, is the amount and the evidence of despair in the Palestinian eyes. The people in Palestine are hopeless. Majority of people, you can feel the hopelessness on the leaves of the trees, on the windowsills. You can touch it in the voices of the radio hosts. It's everywhere. Now, someone may ask, oh, this is a, a very sad look or a very dark look on, on life, and I'd answer them by saying, um, come and live in the West Bank for a few and see how it is. I mean, we have one of the highest cost of living in the region. It's very, very expensive to live in the West Bank. Uh, jobs are very uh, <clears throat> rare. Uh, employment and you know is very high. Poverty is definitely evidence, and COVID made that even more real. And uh, being under occupation uh, and having Israel control all of your entry and exit points uh, makes it that much harder for regular Palestinians young Palestinians to go and seek work in the West Bank or outside of the West Bank. On a daily basis, you've got about 70,000, almost uh, 70,000 workers entering Israel to look for jobs, many of of whom uh, don't have permits to work in Israel. So you get into Israel illegally. Now you risk getting caught, uh, getting beaten, getting jailed, and getting fined. But people do it. And when I say people, I'm talking about young people, 18, 17 years old, 19 years old guys who have absolutely uh, no other choice but to risk their lives to go through long and hilly and illegal uh, ways to get into Israel to find a job so they can send money back to the West Bank and feed their families. I've got people in my village who, when I asked about how they were doing, Two two guys in particular, uh, the family said, we haven't seen them for 12 months. I said, they've been in Israel for that long. They said, yes, because if they come back, they might not be able to go back. Right? So this story occurs and occurs and occurs, and it just keeps happening. My uncle goes to Israel to work every morning. He's a welder. He gets up at 2.30 in the morning and to go to Israel to make it by 8. So uh, 2.30, 2 o'clock, he's up. And he usually takes a few guys with him to work from the village. They get into his car and they drive the car, carpool together, yes. 
So uh, think about it. It's uh, you'll get up at two thirty, two o'clock or two thirty. You get to the checkpoint by three thirty. So three thirty in the morning. It takes you from three thirty or three o'clock in the morning till about eight or seven thirty to get through. Okay, and on the way back you do the same thing, right? So he comes home at seven thirty, eight in the evening. So six days a week, that's what he does. I've never heard him complain about the checkpoint. Um, all my life, I've never heard my uncle say a word about the checkpoint. He just accepted it. You know why uh, he doesn't talk about it? Because uh, talking about it is also a privilege that I have here in the West. That I get to talk about it, share my feelings about it, to write a story about it, write a poem about it, yes, have a podcast about it, and so on and so on. My uncle doesn't have these avenues. Uh, once he says uh, to me, okay, I'll talk about it, then what? I go back there the next morning. So I open up, I share all these things, and for you to go, oh, I'm sorry, and for, for people to go, oh, this is sad. But then what? Is it going to make my, you know, going through the checkpoints easier? So again, when I talk about resiliency, we have to understand it is different in areas of conflict than we assume or identify resiliency as in the West here. But the stories he talks to me about, like the, the, this, the, the snapshots of what he sees or what they go through. And of course, I hear these things at random places. Like, you know, we would be sitting at a salon at uh, getting a haircut, he'd share a story. We'd be going to for a walk, he'd share another story. And sometimes not with, with me, he'd be talking in general. And those collections, those pieces inspired this writing. Um, and the one thing that when I started writing this po uh, poem, I, I wanted to end with, I, I wrote the last line as the first line, when I, the, the old man says, we will be back tomorrow. Uh, that's where I started. And I built my way up. Um, and I didn't know how else I could build it. I didn't. I, I started with that, and over the, 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 the duration of a month or two, it, it just one line after another. And every line I thought about, I thought about the people who said it. And I collected all these imageries and all these uh, stories and the people who said them, and I tried to be their voice in some way or another. Um, the one story that stuck with me is how someone waited and waited and waited. And after the person went, for the, the soldier went for a nap or where they went, he, they assumed it was a nap. <laughs> you know, they came back all cranky and said, yeah, that nothing, nobody goes through, go home. Um, you know, so again, they pick up their backpacks. They usually have small backpacks with like water and food. Because it's like, you know, you'll be stuck there for a long time. So you bring some food. And if you're going to Israel to work, you take some lunch with you. Um, but for me, what came out of this, those backpacks are birds, the chippers. The, the, it was a different imagery. Uh, the backpacks were a resembling of a homeland that we carried on our backs. And out of these backpacks and out of these homelands, there were uh, sounds of beauty and weddings and traditional songs and mothers calling their children to come to eat. Um, because as a writer, I refuse to victimize 
my story. I don't, I don't live in that victim uh, narrative. I am not a victim. I'm a Palestinian and I'm strong. So I try my best to show that side of our story. So when all these things connected, I was able to write some of it. And it's always, uh, it's a conversation with an intimate conversation with myself. Uh, am I doing just to this story? Am I telling the story as it should be told? When people read this, are they gonna feel bad for me? Which I don't want them to do. That's, an, that's, that's one of my biggest uh, fears, if you will, of, of any time when I write this, like with people who are listening or reading, uh, will they go, oh my goodness, this is heartbreaking. How could I help? Like, I, I, yes, I, I want them to sympathize and understand the cause, and, but that's not the only emotion I want them to have. How do I tell them that I am st still strong? I'm still here. I am not going anywhere. This is my land. Checkpoint. As I wait, words question me. I wonder if my ID is enough to enter. My childhood stares me in the face. The sun rays search through my shirts. The line grows longer at the checkpoint. A soldier holds up the line to go for a nap. When he returns, he's moody. He shuts down the metal doors and says, go back. The people in the line waited all day. The people pick up their homelands on their backs once again. Out of their backpacks, the goldfinch chippers. As we walk back, the sky welcomes the people. Here, on my land, we don't have a homeland. We've been searching between our wounds and behind the shadows. There is only a tent and a refugee waiting to return. The line gets smaller like a creek flowing down from a mountain. An old man says to me, son, this is our land. We will be back tomorrow.